Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and we have another insightful episode for you this week. I had the opportunity to speak with Ephraim Smith. Ephraim is a longtime pastor, an internationally recognized speaker, and best-selling author, currently serving as co-lead pastor at Bayside Church Midtown in Sacramento, California. Ephraim is passionate about the power of Jesus that brings both life transformation and community transformation. He is a leader in urban ministry, multi-ethnic issues, and the development of Christian community. On this week's episode, Ephraim talks about the value of relationship building that leads to racial reconciliation and community transformation. He discusses how pastors can practically take steps to usher in positive change in their cities and share some inspiring stories of how hope is being lived out through the local church. So let's jump right into my conversation with Ephraim Smith. We just want to welcome you today to the podcast, Ephraim Smith. Thank you for being with us. I'm honored to be with you. Awesome, brother. Now, you have a lot going on in your life. You're a teaching pastor at Bayside Church. You're the president and chief executive of World Impact. You're a husband, right? You're a father. Uh, Yes. You were just featured on the cover of Outreach Magazine, which, by the way, was an awesome interview. Really appreciated that. Um, And somehow... Amongst all of these things, you managed to write another powerful book that recently came out entitled Killing Us Softly, Reborn in the Upside-Down Image of God. Now, Killing Us Softly is a unique title. Can you share with us a little bit what is behind that title and why this book is so timely? Yes. Well, you know, for a couple reasons. One is, you know, I've written a number of books over the years on issues of racial reconciliation, the multi-ethnic church, urban ministry. And so, you know, this book, I wanted to write in the area of Christian formation and discipleship, but I also wanted um, readers to see the connection between discipleship, Christian formation, and being God's reconcilers in a diverse yet divided mission field. And so Killing Us Softly is um, is taking the premise of dying to self, not only being a key part of growing as a Christ follower, as a disciple, but it's also a key component of being God's vehicle or vessel of reconciliation, transformation, and unity uh, within the body of Christ and beyond. Excellent. Um, this this concept of dying to self, do you feel that uh, we are struggling with that more today than we than, than, than we have in the past? And if so, why, why might that be? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't know if we're struggling uh, with it more than in the past or if we're just struggling with it in different forms. Uh, yeah. What I would say is that right now in the United States of America— Um, we are seeing, especially in our urban centers, continued signs of of racial division, class division. And we've come out of a presidential election year in 2016, where, again, we saw further exposed the deep divisions that exist along political lines that can tie to areas of race or ethnicity or class. And so, 
uh, it felt to me as I as I looked at how many Christians were communicating through social media that instead of 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 being seen primarily as vehicles of transformation and reconciliation and healing, that in many cases, a significant part of the body of Christ was involved in fiery dialogue, in divisive conversations, in in social media-based arguments. And so I, I wondered if we were actually emboldening identity in in self more than decreasing in our captivity to issues of political ideology and so forth so that we could more be the carriers, the extenders of God's love, God's grace, God's truth, and God's transformation. Yeah, that's so good. So do you feel that we've maybe overlooked um, this need for a for deeper relational disciple making i mean is this at the at the core of of why we we are um not showing a dying to self attitude to the world i i think so i mean you know for for some people the the ultimate end of being a christian is you know i've become a christian and i'm going to heaven i'm going to see god in glory one day that that's a good thing i don't I don't want to take away from the importance of salvation and eternal life, being with God in eternity. But there also is a right now impact. There's right now fruit that the Christian life should have. And and I tend to be, you know, as a teaching pastor at an urban, multiracial, multiethnic church of close to 3,000, and as a leader of an urban missions organization, I, I have significant concern about how Christians participate in the Great Commission within a mission field that is urban, very diverse, but also deeply divided. And so uh, to, to become a cross-cultural, reconciling disciple maker, it's going to take a Christian rhythm, discipline of dying to self and living more into what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God in order to really penetrate that mission field, especially uh, in the part of the country where I live. I mean, California has has pockets uh, of the most unchurched part of the United States of America. How do we as as ministry leaders, of course our audience is, you know, pastors and, and ministry leaders, how do we invite people into living as, as you said, citizens of the kingdom here and now? Yes. Uh, you know, as I think about this as a pastor and, you know, I have a, just, I, I, because I'm, I'm in it myself, it, it makes me even more sensitive to the challenges that pastors and local churches have, whether they're in cities, small towns, suburbs, medium-sized churches, small churches, mega churches. Uh, it, it, is, it is not an easy task to, to live out being a shepherd, a ministry leader, whether it's local church or parachurch today. But I think it's important for us to remember, one, that ultimately the church 
should be an outpost, an embassy of the kingdom of God. And we're equipping our, our, the members of our congregations, our attenders, to advance that kingdom, to go out as representatives of that kingdom. And, and we have to challenge lovingly uh, folks in the church to remember that our citizenship in the kingdom of God actually supersedes even our citizenship in the United States of America. Right. And I'm glad that I'm in the United States of America. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'm glad that I live in a country where I can freely preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we can worship freely in congregations without fear of being arrested or persecuted. And at the same time, as much as I am... Um, I'm, I'm glad to live in a nation like the United States of America. I know that first and foremost, I'm called to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So I think we've got to preach and teach more on, on what it means to be a, a part of God's kingdom and the call that we have to advance God's kingdom in a broken, upside down, sinful world. And then second, um, we need to we, we need to teach more, preach more, talk about um, the biblical Jesus, the Jesus who's the Son of God, the Jesus who's the Son of Man, the the Christ that uh, transcends human form, but yet his humanness is significant to the degree that Christ walked the earth as a Jewish Hebrew multi-ethnic, multi-racial human being. And in that light, how can we, regardless of our individual ethnicity or race, collectively strive together to embody and to represent that kingdom at a time where I think it's, it's needed more than ever? Yeah, and you talk about Jesus, and we often speak of Jesus as being countercultural. That he you know turned everything upside down and inside out. But do you think we've we've become guilty of somehow stripping some of that away and perhaps forgetting the the upside down nature of Christ? Uh, yes, I, I I think that is definitely true. Um, I think it's important to remember that when Jesus announces his public ministry in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he talks about liberating the captives and, you know, setting captives free, proclaiming the day of Jubilee. And, and I, I believe that the, one of the major things we always have to be aware of, even in a nation like the United States, where we can worship freely, is that we can still become enslaved, held captive to institutions and ideologies and even good economic frameworks like free enterprise and capitalism, even in that, we have to be careful not to become captive, enslaved. And so to understand the cross-cultural Christ is to understand Christ as a liberator, one who liberates or offers liberation to all people, whether they're enslaved to government systems, economic systems, uh, social structures like race and ethnicity, uh, whether we're held captive to brokenness, arrogance, neglect, pride. 
Christ is this countercultural liberator who steps into an upside down world to set us up right. Uh, and and to, to understand that Christ also assists me in exploring the areas where I may be enslaved and where I need to die to self. That's so solid. And and whenever we begin to explore those those areas in our lives, what's a good way to reflect on that, to kind of um, step away and, and get a real good assessment? Because oftentimes when we're enslaved, as you said, Ephraim, it, it's, it's these, you know, we don't really necessarily recognize it, right? I mean, we can be enslaved yes. without knowing it. So what are some good practical ways that we as ministry leaders ourselves, but then also as we're leading our, our people that God has entrusted to us, how can we begin to assess that in, in a positive way? Yes. You know, as, as a pastor, I always try to remember that I can't lead people to places I haven't gone mm-hmm. or that I don't revisit on right. a regular basis. Uh, you know, when I, when I talk to people, if, if somebody asks me good places to take a vacation, well, I, I talk about places I've been and places I've revisited. So I love going to the city of New Orleans. I, I love Southern food. I love jazz. So I can talk to people about New Orleans. You know, I, I, my, my kids and I like going to Orlando. So I can, I can talk about Disney World because I've been there. And I think it's, it's, similar in the Christian life that as a pastor, I go, you know, I I use things like journaling, prayer walks, taking a day alone with God, uh, spending time in prayer alone to, as one example, to reflect in, in scripture on the fruits of the spirit, like kindness and patience and gentleness and unselfishness. And then I think about I go through the process of reflecting on the areas or the times in my life where I haven't been as kind or gentle as or patient. I think about times where I've been very anxious, impatient, where there I reflect on people maybe that I haven't forgiven. And and those are the places that I realize where I still need to die to myself because maybe um there's an untruth that I'm still hanging on to. Even as a pastor, are there places where I'm over anxious, where I'm impatient, where I'm not kind, where I have to even admit I've I've, I've um, exercised prejudice. And then uh, I go to the Lord uh, seeking the forgiveness and the mercy and the love that God already offers me. And, and that process is what I try to talk about in the book is, is that God lovingly killing me by reminding me of the fruits of the spirit that he desires to bear through my life versus the times where I, I become captive to my own ideas, my own ways of living life on my own. And if that's true for pastors, then I know that's true for people that go to work as doctors and teachers and social workers or their stay-at-home parents, uh, that it's just as much true for them if it's true for me, uh, the one that's called to preach and teach this stuff. Yeah, and I think that's such helpful words there, brother, because just the reality of um, slowing down and 
taking that time to be intentional, you know, as you said, just re- going through the fruit of the Spirit and just reflecting on that and asking God, you know, where in my life am I missing the mark really in those these areas? And I think so often in, in our world, we're, we're so busy and, you know, as pastors, we're, we're, we have so many different responsibilities and we're, we're rushing around and, and involved in so many things that sometimes we might neglect really slowing down. And that's what I appreciate about your book is that it really is, is this book that that's, you know, the cornerstone is this idea of spiritual formation, of making sure that we are dying to self, that we are, you know, taking up our cross daily and following Christ, which is so, so very, very important. And, and I appreciate that so much, brother. Um, there are a few words that, that we've talked about that you've shared, uh, liberation, transformation, justice, reconciliation. And, and all these words are words that we really associate with the kingdom of God, right? But when we look at the world around us, um, it, it seems that maybe there's some glimmers of hope when it comes to these things. But we also see, I mean, so often these uh, times of devastating pain and brokenness. Um, oftentimes it, it might seem that that pain is really outweighing the hope. So how do we uh, as pastors, as church leaders, help our people, our church, really enter into that hope so that we become agents of that transformation and that reconciliation and that justice. Yes. I think that one, we, we need to present to our congregations, to our ministry teams, God's sightings on a regular basis. We have to be careful that the pulpit, that the platform that we've been giving to preach and teach doesn't just become a platform of of negative commentary on how sinful the world is, Mm. how bad things are, how upside down things are. We we have to use, whether it's social media, whether it's, it's preaching behind the pulpit on a Sunday, we have to use these opportunities to point to God's goodness, God's work, God's justice. I want to give you a quick example. You know, we we um, over the past few years, we've had the the very challenging, complex, real issue of tensions between police departments and predominantly African American communities that, in some cases, have led to the deaths of unarmed African Americans. Well, you know, part of what's come from that is you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and commentary. And then there's been responses like, well, blue lives matter, all lives matter. And we need to we need to support the police. We need to support the African-American community. Well, you could just focus on picking your side. But here's a God sighting. One of our sites, our ministry sites for World Impact is Wichita, Kansas. And a God sighting is that um, about a year or so ago, the Wichita Police Department and members of Black Lives Matter in Wichita put on a community cookout at a park in Wichita. And there was music and food and games for kids. And at the end of that event, police officers and Black Lives Matter members were in a circle holding hands with pastors, 
with members of our World Impact staff praying for the city of Wichita, praying for unity, praying for relationship building. In Sacramento, uh, where I uh, serve as a teaching pastor at Bayside Midtown, we've hosted town hall events where we've invited police officers, uh, basketball players from the Sacramento Kings team and community members to, to break bread together, to dialogue together. That's a God sighting. So I say we need to point to God sightings, but then we need to ask God how we can participate in how God wants to get involved in the most divided parts of the mission field around us. Yeah, so I, I love that, and, and that's just very practical. We'll begin keeping our eyes open and celebrating those those positive, those hopeful things to keep pointing people to that Jesus Christ is indeed the hope, right? And yes. um, I, I hear how just in, in that story specifically, um, this idea that relationships are so important. We need to know each other. We need to listen to each other. We need to engage in in conversation and dialogue and relationship with one another. So for pastors who have so many different responsibilities and, and sometimes just feel like they're just trying to keep everything together to get to that next Sunday, do you have any suggestions, um, maybe some good first steps that they can take uh, to to how they can make the time to engage in the type of relationships that lead to reconciliation within the community. Yes. You know, um, I've been in ministry, oh my goodness, for over 20 years now. And whether I was working for a parachurch like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, a youth pastor in a local church in Minneapolis, or today uh, in, in, in the work that I do, I've always seen the value of carving out time to pray with, fellowship with, and collaborate with other ministry leaders in my community. Even if it means I have to say no to something else within the ministry where I work full time, or within the congregation. So when I was a youth pastor, I met once a month with other youth pastors in Minneapolis. You know, um, I just was uh, at a luncheon uh, of uh, Sacramento area pastors who who meet for lunch, for worship, and, and just to build relationship. And sometimes an event comes out of that. But the primary reason for doing it is not to do an event. I just believe, brother, that when I hang out with other pastors of different races that are in a different context than me, when I hear their story, when when I hang out with them, I think I lead better. I think I preach better. I think I pastor better. If I, if I just hung around other black urban pastors, well, it would stretch me. It would I would I would grow from that but it's still not gonna give me the broader kingdom breath and blessing of saying, I fellowship with Hispanic and white and Asian and multi-ethnic and suburban and small town pastors. And I think I think it improves my preaching, my leading, my serving, my understanding of God's word 
and and I and I just, I just think it starts as simple as that. Look at your calendar over the next three months and ask God to start filling some of that space if you if you aren't already with other pastors of a different ethnicity, a different denomination, a different mission field experience than you and see how God will bless you personally and professionally from that intentional cross-cultural fellowship. That, that, that's beautiful, that, the idea of prioritizing, building those relationships with, with ministers who are ministering in different contexts, come from different backgrounds, and, and, and I can see how that just kind of opens us up. Do you have stories that you can share of how collaborating, as you meet with these uh, pastors from different uh, neighborhoods or different contexts, how some of those collaborations um, translated into community transformation? Yes. Um, so when I was a pastor in Minneapolis, I, w- I was a church planter. After being a youth pastor for about 12 years, we planted a church uh, that's still going in Minneapolis called Sanctuary Covenant Church. And um, I was I was fortunate to build some relationships with um, not only other churches in the community of North Minneapolis, where we planted the church, but also some suburban churches. And, you know, as when you're a young church plant, there's only so much you can do. You're limited in, with resources and people in most cases, and you want to make an impact, but you're, you're limited in what you could do because you're, you're a new church. Well, we wanted to figure out how we could serve the community one of the things we found out was that in many under-resourced urban communities, the kids in the public schools, if they are not at grade level in reading and math by the third or fifth grade, there is a high probability that they will be incarcerated, that they will get in trouble with the law and they will have a life trajectory of incarceration. Mm. Uh, and, and so when when we learned this as a young church, we wanted to start adopting schools and we wanted to start tutoring and mentoring third graders and fifth graders in the public schools in North Minneapolis to get them to grade level. But we were a new church. But because I was in intentional relationship with other pastors, suburban, some white, some Asian, Uh, others African-American, I begin to share this story that I'm sharing with you with them. And through the relationships I had with other pastors, we um, created an initiative where we adopted three schools and we asked for all the third and fifth graders that were below grade level in reading and math and collectively as multiple churches, we... um, we adopted those kids. We provided when I, you know, we we adopted them academically. We provided tutors for them. We provided brand new backpacks, school supplies, and we 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 were very fruitful and successful in in dismantling, working to dismantle the pipeline between that inner city community in North Minneapolis and um, and incarceration. And that program is still going on today. And, and, and I, I was able to see greater fruit 
because of the relationship I had with other pastors than what we would have been able to achieve on our own as one new church plant. I love that because that is, is such a beautiful picture of really the kingdom of God, right? Because it's, you know, we're joining together, we're joining arms with brothers and sisters who are serving and, and coming together to, to lead something and to develop some strong relationships within the community that would lead to real transformation. Um, and so it's just a, a beautiful snapshot of that. As, as we're talking through these, these ideas of what it means to, to die to self, I, I, what I couldn't help but think is that, you know, sometimes as pastors, we get caught up in kind of our own little, our own little empire that we're, we're, you know, a part of, you know, whatever that might be, our, our, our church. And we get so focused, almost have blinders sometimes because, you know, and, and the reality is there, there are many needs within, within our own congregations, right? And there are different things that are going on and we're being pulled in different directions. But what I, I seem to hear you saying and what I've, I've seen uh, lived out in your life is that we really need to open ourselves up as we are dying to self. And one of those ways that we die to self as ministers is that we, we don't get so caught up in, in just what we're doing in our little place, but we open our eyes to what's going on around us so that we truly can step into living out the mission of God in our community. Is that really what you, you see as kind of a hallmark of this idea of dying to self when it comes to um, being in ministry? Yes, I, I agree with that that statement very much that, you know, I'm fortunate to be a part of a a, a larger growing church, but I've always, even in being a youth pastor years ago and today being a teaching pastor in, in a large growing church, I've, I've always tried to keep the mentality, the belief that we, we still can't do it all. I don't care how much our church grows, how many campuses we launch, how many other churches we, we work to plant. God's kingdom agenda is too big mm. for, for, for me, for my church, for the Urban Missions Organization, World Impact. It's too big. It's huge. God's kingdom agenda is, is, is about one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every nation will have to stand before the ultimate king, that, it, that Christ is going to come one day and set all of creation right. You know, we know that there will be some that will choose otherwise. They will choose judgment over God's grace and love and mercy. I, I can't understand why, but some people will. But God's cosmic huge agenda is too big for me to tackle alone. I need I need to 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 be a part of a larger family, a larger body. That that Catholic church in terms of church universal. And I think we've got to we've got to get back to to the creeds that help us understand that that the heritage of the church and the future of the church is about understanding being connected to a bigger family and a bigger agenda than any one church can tackle on its own. Amen. Amen. That's a good word, brother. Um, as we've been talking, is there anything else that maybe we haven't touched upon that you would 
like to share with our ministry leaders, perhaps some, something to guide them or to encourage them that, that we haven't touched upon? Well, I would just say, because I, I write a lot and speak a lot on the issue of reconciliation, especially in the area of, of race, you know, I, I want to continue to lovingly encourage pastors to seek how the Lord wants to use your ministry to look more and more like heaven. Uh, that I, I think that one of the ways that the church will be a more transformative force in our nation and in the world is um, being open to the ways in which God wants to lead our churches, our ministries, to look more like heaven, to, to, to be a sneak preview of a multitude of every nation, tribe, and language. And, and I think part of the dying to self is, is saying, our, as, as I live into dying to self, it then allows me to think about corporately the ways in which God may put something to death in order to bring to life something that gives God even greater glory, that provides even a greater picture of the kingdom of God. And so one of those ways, I believe, is the church as, as a refuge for racial healing and unity and, and a place of transformation so that the broken and the divided become the blessed and the unified. Amen. Amen. That's good. Now, if, if our listeners want to dig more deeply into what um, you've shared today, Ephraim, I, I know there are a couple ways to do that. Again, your newest book, Killing Us Softly, is, is available. And you can also check out your interview in the May-June issue of Outreach Magazine. And we're going to have the links for for those, both the book and the interview, in the show notes for this episode. But Ephraim, what is the best way that people can connect with you and learn more about your ministry and, and what you've been sharing? Sure. I would encourage people to go to worldimpact.org. So worldimpact.org is a great place to find out about the ministries of World Impact and, and what we're doing. There's also some blog posts on there, some videos on there that people can uh, check out. Also, the other thing that people can do is go to Bayside Online. And if you click on Midtown Campus of Bayside Online, then also uh, what you'll be able to do is listen to sermons from Bayside preaching pastors and teaching pastors. But if you click on the Midtown Campus uh, and go to that particular campus of the Bayside family of churches, that is the multi-ethnic reconciling expression of the Bayside family of churches. And you can learn a lot uh, about um, just what we're doing to try to continue to play a role in uh, raising up cross-cultural and reconciling disciple makers. That's excellent. It sounds like an absolutely awesome resource and, and a good way for pastors to take a look and see um, um, how, how it's being done practically and um, how they can maybe uh, learn from that and, and start to implement some of those same things in their own communities. Uh, Ephraim, it's been an absolute joy, brother, to have you on the podcast today. Um, we're so, so excited about um, what you've been doing over the years through your ministry and what you're continuing to do and how you're continuing to um, encourage us to, to wrestle with some of these things. And this book, um, Killing Us Softly, really gets to the, to the heart of, of um, how we individually, um, as we look at dying to self, 
can live into the fullness of of what the kingdom of God really looks like when it comes to um, seeing Christ uh, glorified within our relationships and within our communities. So it's so solid, brother. I, I just want to thank you again for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, if I uh, ever get an opportunity again, I would love to to come on and just, it's been a privilege and an honor to be able to share with you. Yeah, we'd love that, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Every week, as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they can benefit uh, from these interviews as well. And again, we thank you in advance. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.